Well, our last scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We have, it's been about three months, but we're jumping back in. Uh, turn to Matthew 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1528. I think we also have the words on the screen for you. Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May the grace of God be upon all who hear it. As I said, it's been roughly three months since we have been in this Gospel of Matthew. And because it's been such a long time, I want to give a brief synopsis of, of where we left off first. It was in chapter 16, verse 16, where we saw Peter's confession. And there he identified Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was really the focus of the first half of Matthew's gospel. He, he wanted us to recognize this Jesus for who he truly is. But, but Peter's confession was also a major turning point in our story. Whereas before the, the focus was primarily, primarily on identifying this Jesus, now in this last half of Matthew's gospel, we will focus more on the mission of Christ and on the sacrificial calling of those who follow him. And this is what we saw in verse 21 of that same chapter. Jesus told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This this was his mission. And because this was his mission, any man who would come after him must have the courage to do likewise. In verse 24, Jesus said this, 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so these two things are what we will discover as we continue through this gospel. Christ focusing on the cross, while at the same time calling his disciples to take up their own. Now, if you remember, this this was the message that we saw when we last left off back in chapter 18. Jesus had just finished what what is known as uh, the fourth major discourse in Matthew's gospel. And if you recall, his, his disciples had asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And how did Jesus respond? He, he laid out four characteristics of what it takes to be great in God's kingdom. First, a person must have humility. They must become like a, a little child. Next, a person must become hospitable. They must welcome in all the other little children. Third, they must demonstrate compassion. Compassion as they go forth looking for the lost sheep that have gone astray. And finally, they must have forgiveness in their hearts. They don't just forgive their brother seven times, but 77 times. This is what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Humility, hospitality, compassion, and forgiveness. And I don't think that it is a coincidence that the verses that that follow this discourse are the ones that we see today. For this, if this is how we are to be as a church, then how much more so in our marriages? Let's, Let's look at our passage and see what we can learn. Look at verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he he healed them there. Now, in these two verses, we we see another transition in Matthew's gospel. And not necessarily a thematic transition, but but a geographical one. Jesus has now left his homeland of Galilee and has entered into Judea, the very region where Jerusalem lies. And why has he done this? Because of his mission. He has begun his journey towards the cross. But where Jesus went, so followed the crowds. Just as we saw in Galilee, here we see large masses gathering around him. They brought to him the sick. They brought to him the broken. And just as we saw in Galilee, he healed many. But we also see that that those who were the enemies of Christ were not far behind. And the first story that Matthew delivers to us in Christ's Judean ministry is this encounter with the Pharisees. Look at at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
The first thing we must notice is, is that this question that these men were posing was not for their own edification. They, they were not seeking out a correct answer. No. Instead, Matthew tells us that they came to test Jesus. In essence, this, this question was a trap. They, they were looking for Jesus to slip up somehow in order that they might discredit his messianic claims. But, but how was this a trap? In order for us to understand that, we must first understand the cultural setting and the role of divorce during that time. We live in an age where divorce is commonplace. And yet, we are not the first society that has gone down this route. And in fact, in Jesus' day, divorce was the, the, the open secret that, that most people turned a blind eye to. And the reason this was the case was because of a, a certain section of Scripture that was under dispute. A passage where God had spoken concerning divorce. Look at Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. This is what it says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from her, her house, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now what is unique about this text is that it seems to communicate a type of condition as grounds for divorce. And that condition is found in these words. Because he finds something indecent about her. Now over time, the, the argument grew over what was meant by this word indecent. What, what foul deed would a wife have to do in order to receive a certificate of divorce? Scripture isn't clear here, and thus you see disagreements. Even within the Pharisaical camps, there were two schools of thought. There was the school of Shammai who said that, that God was speaking of a gross indecency along the lines of sexual sin. And thus for them, any form of betrayal to the marriage bed was grounds for divorce. But there was also the school of Hillel, who, who said that this word indecent covered a broad range of categories, and that even if a woman improperly cooked a meal, that was reason enough for a husband to divorce his wife. Now you may think that that last reason is pretty silly, but think about our society. We live in a place, a, a land, that has no fault divorce. We have made it so easy that we don't even need to give a reason. Needless to say, it was this last school, the, the school of Hillel, that made divorce commonplace. 
And so when these Pharisees came to Jesus with this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? What they were looking to find out was which school of thought Jesus fell under. Was he school of Hillel or was he school of Shammai? Now, why does this matter? How how could Jesus' opinion on this subject possibly benefit these Pharisees? The answer is simple. If they could label Jesus with one or the other, then they could divide his followers as he would be seen as either too lenient or too strict. But as we'll soon find out, Jesus wasn't about to fall into their trap. Look how he responds. Look at, look at verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus doesn't cite Deuteronomy. No. Rather, he goes straight to the beginning, the the origins of marriage. He cites Genesis 1, verse 27, and Genesis 2, verse 24. And why does he do this? Why does he go there? Simply because if, if you want to speak about divorce you must first have a proper understanding of what marriage truly is. Let's let's look at these two passages and see exactly what Jesus is getting at. First, Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here we see the six-day and the, and the crowning jewel of God's creation, man and woman. They are the only creatures that, that were made in his image. And in this sense, they are, they are linked to one another in a bond that cannot be severed. They are brother. They are sister. And yet God created them to be distinct as well. They, they, are, they are alike, but they are different. And so the first thing that we must see is that that who we are as man and as woman is defined by the Creator. Who we are is defined by His decree. And who exactly are we? We are image bearers. Now why would Jesus say this? Shouldn't, Shouldn't these Pharisees already know this? Isn't this just a basic biblical truth? Of course they knew this. I'm sure they had this this scripture memorized. But practically, they, they were not living it out, particularly when it came to their view of marriage. Let me, let me ask you, who do you think was the most affected by, by a divorce? The man or the woman? The woman, Right? For, for she was reliant upon her husband to support her. And who do you think had the least say in the marriage? The man or the woman? 
Again, the woman, right? And the reason this was the case was because the woman wasn't viewed as an image bearer, at least not as much of an image bearer as a man. And this is why Jesus was bringing these men back to the creation order. He was pointing out their hypocrisy. In the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Both are image bearers. Both deserve respect. But his argument goes further. Look look at Genesis 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. For this reason. For what reason? Well, we just need to look at the previous verse to understand what that reasoning is. Look at, look at verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Because Eve was created from his rib, Adam's impression of her was that she was bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. And thus, they were in the deepest sense united. They were one flesh. And this is the reason why when a man marries a woman, they are no longer two, but one. For they have a connection that goes down to the deepest levels. There is a a covenant between them that is both a physical union and a spiritual union. It is an oath that has its foundation upon the created order. For God is the very one who has joined them together. And this is why we see Jesus citing these passages. For when a man divorces his wife, when that bond is broken, not only is it unnatural, but it is also rebellious towards God. It is thumbing one's nose at at what he has established. Bottom line is this. God hates divorce. And that is the point that Jesus was making. But unfortunately, it wasn't enough for these Pharisees. Look at at how they respond. Look at at verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? As if on cue, these men jumped straight into that passage from Deuteronomy. They, They still want to know where Jesus stands. Is he school of Shammai or is he school of Hillel? And notice how they worded it. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? This this word command makes it seem that, that, that the divorce was required in certain situations. As if they don't have a choice. Little did they know they were about to be schooled in their biblical interpretation by the author of the book. Look, look at the next two verses. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. 
I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. What was written by Moses was not a command at all. Rather, God was permitting his people to do something that was not in line with his will. And why was he doing this? Because their hearts were hard. In other words, they were going to do it anyways. These men were going to toss out of their homes the very women that they had pledged to look after, leaving them broken and impoverished. And so what did God do? In his mercy, he had given to Israel this law concerning certificates of divorce as a way of protecting the women. The, the, the purpose of these documents were to make sure that, the, that these women who were tossed out would not become destitute simply because a man didn't want them anymore. By giving them a certificate of divorce, this allowed this woman to remarry without being seen as an outcast. It was a protection against a hard heart. And so what we see in Jesus' response is, is that this was not a command, but an allowance. It was an escape clause for women who had fallen prey to, to wicked men. In other words, Deuteronomy is not the standard. Genesis is. How many people today are, are broken and hurting because of a hard heart? How many lives are ruined because one person didn't take their vows seriously? What would Jesus say to our no-fault divorce laws? I believe he would take us back once again to Genesis. To, to an understanding of what marriage truly is. For when you look at our world today, we, we've pretty much got it all wrong. I mean, we can't even get the definitions of male and female correct anymore. Let alone that, that, that marriage is between one man and one woman. In, in, in our LGBT society, we have basically maimed the definition of marriage. And so is it any wonder that, that, that divorce is rampant? Or think about the hookup culture. Premarital sex is, is so commonplace that, that the marriage bed is no longer unique or cherished. The idea that, that, that a husband and, and a wife will become one flesh has been lost. And it's not just all the godless people that are out there that, that are doing these things. For these sins have infiltrated the church as well. That's why we see the divorce rate is pretty much the same among those who claim to be God's people. Listen, God takes marriage very, very seriously. And the reason he does is because it is a picture of his union with us. How often in the Old Testament does God refer to Israel as his bride? And yet how often... Did we see Israel stray from him? They were that adulterous wife chasing after the gods of the foreign nations. And yet, God did not divorce her. 
even though he had every right to do so. Instead, he ran after her in an effort to to win her back. He is that great shepherd going after the lost sheep. In fact, he, he loved her so much that he became, he was willing to become a man and to die for her, to die for her sins. Divorce was not on God's mind. Dear friends, when, when it comes to marriage, we tend to take this self-centered view of things. We think it is all about us when it's not. It is about God and His glory. And to break the union that, that He has established is, is not only a sin against one's spouse, but it is also a rebellion against God Himself. So is it lawful to divorce? It is permitted, but only in cases of marital unfaithfulness, when that covenant has already been broken. And yet, even then, this is, this is not what God desires. For, for when you took those vows, you said, for better or for worse, until death do you part. What God has joined together, let man not separate. The disciples got it. Look at what they said in verse 10. The disciples said to him, If this is a situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. What these men understood is that marriage is difficult. And it should not be entered into lightly. For to become one flesh, a person must die to themselves. They must put on those four characteristics that, that define greatness in the kingdom. Humility, hospitality, compassion, and forgiveness. For each of those things will be necessary to make a marriage work. In other words, if, if you are going to take the vows, then you must put the other person first. However, if you're going to live for yourself, then it is better not to marry. And yet, when it comes to Christ's followers, living for oneself is not an option. Not even for those who are single. Look at what Jesus said in verses 11 and 12. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. What Jesus is getting at here is, is that, that the same calling of dying to self is upon those who choose singleness as well. Instead of becoming one flesh with a husband or with a wife, they are to give their life to their king. They too must take up their cross and follow Jesus. So whether you are married or whether you are single, if you want to follow Christ, then you must lose your life for the sake of the kingdom. Your marriage is to be a picture of the gospel. 
It is to be a selfless love that, that the world can see. And if you are single, then, you, then your devotion should not be split. Let your focus be upon Christ and his kingdom. It is to be as if Christ is your husband. And when you think about it, that should be the desire of all of us. For he is the one who is devoted to you. He has not divorced you. Rather, he died for you, paying the penalty for your sins so that you might come back to him. What a great and wonderful Savior. What a great and wonderful King. Let us pray. Father, we ask now that, that you would sanctify us as your bride. That you would make our marriages a, a, a picture of your own love. And that for those of us who are single, we would, we would have an undying devotion to you. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us, to help us to love one another. Thank you for sending your Son, who is our perfect husband, and who was willing to die for us, even in our unfaithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.